In 2005, during Holy Week, that week just before Easter, uh, I was speaking at this special lunch that we were having in a church where I was serving as pastor, and I finished the talk, and a couple hundred people were in the room, and I walked out to a door, and next thing I know, I was on the ground, and uh, my wife was there uh, with me. I had passed out. Um, they called an ambulance, called 911. I went to the hospital. They did a number of scans. They did a cerebral angiogram. And a day later, Dr. Clarence Wattridge from a clinic there in Memphis, the Sims Murphy Clinic, walked into the hospital room. My kids had come from all over the country. They were gathered there. We didn't know what was going on. Um, he walked in the room, and he showed us the results of the scan. And he said, you have a cerebral hemangioma in the middle of your brain. It's a malformation, and your brain is bleeding. It is, it, and, and so I, I looked at him, and I said, what, what does this mean? Are you going to do surgery? And he said, I love to do brain surgery. I said, well, if I were your family member, what would you do? And he said, I wouldn't do brain surgery because that, that's located, to, there's a tumor, it's a benign tumor, it's located um, close to the, uh, your motor skills and your speech patterns. And he said, I, I wouldn't do brain surgery. And so I think my wife said, well, what do we, what do, we do? And he said, we're going to watch and we're just going to watch and see, see what happens. And uh, she said, well, is it going to return? Is it going to start bleeding again? And he said, we don't know. And she said, well, what, what, what do we expect? And he said, we, we don't know. And then she said, so what do we do? And Dr. <laughs> Clarence Wattridge said, Philippians 4, 5, and 6. That's the verse that says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And my wife said, well, I know that, but what do we do? <laughs> and he said, Philippians 4, 5, and 6. Any other questions? And walked out the room. And I was left with this massive headache um, from what was going on and left with the possibility of a stroke, of death, another brain bleed. And while this was happening, people were praying. Our church was praying. Friends from all over the country were praying for us. And there's so many expressions of love and encouragement. And two things that I believed became real. God is sovereign, and prayer matters. God is sovereign, which means we had taught our children this. Whether we live or we die, whether we're healthy or incapacitated, we're, our life is in God's hands. We're squarely in His hands, and He is good, and He loves us. And He's in control of all things. There's not a rogue atom in the universe outside of His control. And prayer matters. And our kids knew that because they have seen over and over God's answer to prayers in our, in our life, in our family. God is sovereign and prayer matters. And some people say, well, why pray if God is sovereign, is in control, and God's going to do what God's going to do? Why even pray? And the answer is God uses prayer to accomplish His sovereign purposes. Prayer is the means that God uses to work out His will. And it was such a comfort to me to realize whatever happened People were, people were praying. 
So fast forward to today, seven, 18, almost 18 years later, and uh, there's been no change. In fact, in my last scan, they said uh, all of that's encapsulated, and I can only attribute that to God's goodness. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness and to the prayers of God's people. God is sovereign. God's in total control, and our prayers matter. And that's the theme of the passage we're going to read today from Acts chapter 12, where a king kills the first apostle to to die, James, and another apostle, Peter, is set free. So Acts chapter 12, and I want to read the entire chapter. You just read along with me. You can watch screen or read from your Bible or your device. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out of the, to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought it was a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord. Friends, this is like the sci-fi channel. It just swings open. And they went out. They went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Now Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, and recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she didn't open the gate. She ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate, and they said to her, you're out of your mind. And she kept insisting it was so, but they kept saying, it's his, it's his angel, his guardian angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed, and motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, and then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered they should be put to death. And then he went from Judea to Caesarea, that on the coast, Mediterranean coast, and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Those are two little cities northwest of Jerusalem, right along the coast. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain or assistant, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, 
Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, delivered an oration to them, and the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. I think there are three things that this passage teaches us. Number one, sometimes believers suffer horribly and there's no explanation. This tyrant is leading an assault on the church. church. His name is Herod Agrippa. And it's real easy to get the Herods mixed up in Scripture. It's kind of confusing because there's there's three of them. He is the grandson of Herod the Great, who was the Herod, the king, that the wise men came to and announced that a Messiah had been born. And he's the king who slaughtered all the baby boys, little toddlers in Bethlehem. He had a son named Herod Antipas, who was the Herod that killed John the Baptist. And he was the Herod to whom Pilate sent Jesus during his trial. And Herod wanted, this Herod wanted to see a miracle, so in essence he said, hey, walk across my swimming pool, make me believe. Then his nephew, the, great grand, the, the grandson of Herod the Great, is this Herod, Herod Ag- Agrippa. And he's following right in the footsteps of his grandfather and his uncle. He ruled from 37 to 44 A.D., so about 20 years after the cross and the resurrection. And he loved power. He loved glory. He loved applause. And he executes James. And it's real easy to get the James in the the New Testament confused because there are three of them. There's James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James. That's not the one we're talking about. There's another James called James the Just, and he's one of the apostles, and that's all we know about him. And then there's James, the brother of John, one of the inner circle that Jesus had, Peter, James, and John. Uh, Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder. Love that name. Sons, wouldn't you like your parents call you sons of thunder? Uh, he was there at the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus like the blinds were pulled and Jesus' glory goes shining out. He was there at the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he, he was crucified where Jesus said, would you stay and pray with me for an hour? One of the inner circle, mentored by Jesus himself. And now he's just murdered. He is murdered. When I was reading this the first time, my mind went immediately to those Libyan Christians on the shore in Libya of the Mediterranean, who were beheaded by ISIS. So this kind of thing happens today. In fact, what we're told is last year, a thousand more Christians were killed than the year before. And that one out of every seven Christians in the world lives in a country where it is dangerous to be a Christian. And there's no explanation given. One sentence, James was killed. That's it. I think he probably had a wife possibly had children. Certainly he had many friends who loved him. He had his brother, John, and he's young. He's like his late 20s or early 30s. He's been discipled by Jesus himself. Talk about potential for gospel work. And his death was just a gut punch to that early church. They must have been reeling when they got the word that 
James had died. I mean, what would happen if in this church there was a mission trip and we got word that one of the people who made the mission trip had been killed for the sake of Jesus? I mean, how would, what would that do to us? And so the word came, James has been killed. And you have to believe the church was praying for him because they're a praying church in Jerusalem. They're praying all the time. They're meeting daily for prayer. They knew the power of prayer. They had seen how prayer can, be, make, can make a difference. They knew God answered prayer, and yet James was murdered. Friends, what do you do when you pray and you pray and you pray and the worst happens? Sometimes following Jesus, to be honest, sometimes following Jesus is like stepping into a boxing ring with Mike Tyson. And he punches you in the mouth. And you prayed and you believe in prayer. And the worst happens. Sometimes believers suffer horribly. Sometimes God delivers miraculously. We cannot predict the ways of God. God's sovereignty is beyond our understanding uh, we're not given easy answers to a lot of the things that happen to us in life. We don't often get the answers. Sometimes we don't get the answers we want when we pray. Uh, back in the 1700s, there was a man named William Cooper who wrote a song. You've all heard the title of this song, although you may never have heard the song, God Moves in Mysterious Ways, His Wonders to Perform. That's true. So what do you do? You fall back on the thing that you know is true, and that is God is sovereign. God loves us. God is with us. God knows what is best. But sometimes Christians suffer hor horribly and there's no explanation. Sometimes babies die. Sometimes couples who love the Lord Jesus cannot conceive and they'd be great parents. Sometimes lousy parents have lots of kids. Sometimes God answers prayer for healing. Sometimes he doesn't. And Often those who prosper in this life are not righteous, but they're wicked. And we don't have ready answers. Ecclesiastes 7.15 says, In my vain life I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. That's James, isn't it? And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. That's, that's Herod. And listen to one more verse. This is Ecclesiastes 8.14. There's a futility that is done on earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this too is futile. This last week, I heard of a young mother who came down with cancer, and her church was praying for her. And she went into surgery, and when they opened her up, there was no cancer. And her church praised God, and her family praised God. But during surgery, she got an, effect, an infection, and she died, in sur died of the infection. You, how, how, how mysterious is that? How, how frustrating is that? God's ways are, are not our ways. God's wisdom is not our wisdom. We pray and we pray, but our trust is not in our prayers. Our trust is in God to whom we pray. And he answers according to his wisdom. Uh, Tim Keller one time said, if we knew what God knows and we, see, we could see what God sees, we would answer our prayers the way God answers our prayers. Now, what does all this, this mean for us? I think, I think we have to be real careful, friends, that we don't look at someone who's being really blessed and say, well, that person may be pleasing to God. Maybe, maybe not. 
And we must not get angry with God when we're following Him and trusting Him and then suffering comes into our life and we say, well, we must not be pleasing God. Not necessarily. I think of Job. Please God, a righteous man. God has not promised an explanation for everything that happens to us. What He has promised is He will be with us. He will raise us from the dead. We will dwell with Him in a new heavens and a new earth where no suffering can touch us at all. And that Christ entered into our sufferings. He took the ultimate injustice on the cross and He rose so that we could have eternal life like we've been singing today. But sometimes Christians, godly people, suffer horribly and we don't know why. And the second thing, sometimes God answers prayers in amazing ways. I think Luke loved to tell this story because it's so miraculous. And it's really pretty funny if you think about it. It's Passover season, probably April. James has been executed. Peter's in prison. He's next in line. Herod decides to go to the head of what he th thinks is, is the leader of the Jesus movement and put him to death. The evil one loves to target leaders. And so I beg you, pray for the leaders of the church here. Pray for your staff. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your elders. Pray for life group leaders. Pray for small group leaders. Pray for the transition team because all of us wear a target on our back. And Satan knows if he can take the leader out, the sheep can scatter. So Herod's waiting for this religious festival to end so he can bring Peter out and kill him. But up until then, he wants to make sure Peter doesn't get out of jail, so he assigns four squads of four soldiers. This sounds like overkill, right? But he wants to make sure there's no possibility of escape. And how's Peter feeling about this situation? I mean, it's hopeless. He doesn't know anybody in high places. He, he has no money to bribe guards, no political strings to pull. It's really interesting. When the angel comes to rescue him, he's asleep. In fact, the angel has to whack him on the side to wake him up. That kind of reminds me of what I had to do with my kids when they were growing up, go to school in the morning. Whack, whack, you know, hey, touch, get up, get up. I don't know about you, but I think I would have been tossing and turning all night long. That's what I do when I worry. Just can't sleep at all. And what's remarkable is Peter knows what happened to James. He knows he's next in line, but he's not pacing the floor. He's not biting his nails. He's sleeping. How do you explain that? Sleeping the night before he's to be executed. How do you explain that? Could it be that because the church was praying for him, God gave him unexplainable peace, peace that passes understanding? And there's no evidence that he expects to be delivered. In fact, when the angel comes to the prison, Peter doesn't say, well, you took your sweet time. Been expecting you. He doesn't, he's not expecting this at all. And the angel doesn't rebuke him, doesn't say, well, you should have known I was coming. No, Peter is rescued, although he does not expect to be rescued. And what's the church doing? Verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. And that word earnest is a Greek word that means to stretch out. So maybe they were on the floor stretched out. It has the idea of crying out to God. This is intense prayer. This is fervent prayer. This is prayer that's, that's full of emotion, praying to God for Peter. And they're praying together. This is gathered 
prayer. Earnest prayer by a gathered church matters. It should always be our response when we're going through some time of great stress and uncertainty because God uses prayer to accomplish His sovereign purposes. God's our loving Father. He tells us to bring everything to Him. Do you do that? Dr. Wattridge walked into the room and he said, God loves you, so pray about it. He walks out of the room. God cares for you because one of the ways, one of the means that God uses to accomplish, accomplish His will is prayer. So God answers prayer by sending His angel to rescue Peter from prison. And Peter doesn't even know what's happening. He thinks it's a dream. Chains fell off. God specializes in breaking chains. Peter follows him, thinks he's having a dream. In fact, it doesn't dawn on Peter what is happening until he gets out in the street. Listen to verses 10 and 11. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure the angel, the, the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. What's interesting is God sends a miracle for something Peter cannot do, but the angel leaves him when Peter doesn't need a miracle anymore. What I take from that is God's not going to send a miracle for what we can do. But what we can't do, God sends the miracle. And Peter knows the way on the street. You don't need an angel to be a GPS to get you to Mary's house. He knows that for sure. So miracles are the exception. God just expects us to use wisdom, use the means he's given to us. In fact, at the end of this story, verse 17, it says, he departed and went to another place. Peter does not walk back into the city up to the garden and say, bet you can't catch me a second time. He doesn't presume on God. He doesn't back God into a corner to, to, to force God to act. He uses wisdom. He, he leaves. And what's so interesting to me is Herod doesn't know what's happened. He thinks it's a trick, some inside job. The guards have been conspiring to set Peter free, so he, he doesn't believe whatever the guards say, and he, he has them killed. There's no way he's convinced it's a miracle. Sometimes I've had people say to me, if God would only do a miracle, I would believe. Well, here's a miracle, and the man doesn't believe. So sometimes it's not the miracle that's, that's required. Now back to the church, and here's the comic relief. Peter comes to the house. Rhoda is so excited about Peter, and she runs away without opening the door. And she says, hey, Peter's at the door. And they don't believe her. They say, you're crazy. Um, you've been praying too long. Go get a glass of water. Lie down. Uh, maybe it's his guardian angel. And Peter's still standing there knocking at the door. I once time heard a sermon when the answer keeps knocking at the door. So they finally let him in. It's so easy to be critical of those, of those Christians there. It's just easy to, what they just lacked faith. I'm not so sure that is the case. I think they were just like us. I got a letter one time from a children's Sunday school class. It said this, Dear Pastor Sam, we are praying for you. We do not expect an answer. Love, Tina. Fourth grade Sunday school class. Just ordinary people just like us. They, they prayed for James, no deliverance there. Prayer's no guarantee you're going to get 
the answer. They don't know what God's going to do. Maybe they're praying, well, keep Peter strong or change Herod's mind. I say, okay, they really did lack faith. Sam, I believe they lack faith. Okay, God did the miracle in spite of their lack of faith. You see, sometimes God answers prayer in amazing ways. Sometimes God breaks chains. Sometimes God frees prisoners. Sometimes God humiliates bullies. So keep praying. Keep praying. Dallas Theological Seminary was founded in 1924 and almost folded. In fact, it came to the point that there was going, they were going to have to foreclose on the property at 12 noon on a particular day, and the president, Louis Sperry Schaefer, called a prayer meeting of the trustees in his office of the morning that they were going to lose the seminary. In the office, in that prayer meeting, was Harry Ironside, who was a great preacher of another time. And when it was his turn to pray, here's what he prayed. Lord, we know that the cattle on a thousand hills are yours. Please sell some of them and send the money. That was his prayer. And just about that time, a cowboy in jeans and boots and an open neck shirt walked into the business office in another area of the seminary, and he said, howdy. He said, uh, I just sold two carloads of cattle over in Fort Worth. I've been trying to make a business deal work and can't make it work, and I feel God wants me to give this money to the seminary, and I don't know if you need it, but here, here it is, and he hands over a check. And the secretary walks back to the president's office, knows this prayer meeting's going on, timidly, knock, timidly knock, knocks on the door, and Dr. Schaefer comes to the door, and she hands him the check, and he looks at it, and he says, Harry, God sold the cattle. <laughs> True story. Sometimes God answers in amazing ways and delivers. The first church I ever served, there was a couple, Howard and Julie. And Julie was a Christian, but Howard was not. And he just refused to, to trust in Christ. But he came to church with her. And one Sunday morning, he came up to me, and he looked a little ragged, and he came up and said, will you baptize me? And I said, oh, tell me about that. And he said, yesterday I was out bird hunting, and I was climbing a fence, and I accidentally dropped my shotgun, and it went off. and should have blown my leg off. But he put a hole in my jeans, and I said, that's too close, Lord. And I gave my life to Christ. And I baptized him. Sometimes God delivers in amazing ways. Phil and Darlene Corey were with Team Missions in the Dominican Republic in La Vega. They were in a little Christian camp. They were close friends of ours. Phil got in his pickup one day, and they adopted this little Dominican girl. He got in his pickup one day. He was backing out of the, of the camp and felt like the truck hit something, jumped out, and he had run over his little daughter. She was underneath the truck, but she was fine, uninjured. And Phil told me later, I think God sent an angel and raised that truck. Contrast that with Stephen Curtis Chapman, longtime advocate, he and his wife, of international adoption. Adopted three little girls from China. One day, his teenage son got in the family SUV, backed out, and ran over five-year-old Maria. He didn't see her she died. Just hours before, this family was celebrating the engagement of their oldest daughter, and they were just hours away from a graduation party for Caleb, their son's completion of high school, and now they're preparing to bury a child who blew out five candles on a birthday cake less than 10 days ago. You cannot say when God will work a miracle. You can't program miracles. God is sovereign. But God answers prayer.
and God does miracles. So keep trusting him. Pray fervently. God had rescued Peter. And the truth is, friends, if you were a Christian, God has rescued you. Because you were in chains of sin, and you could do nothing about it yourself. You were absolutely powerless to bring yourself out. You deserved eternal death, hell forever. But Jesus took our place on the cross, and he rescued us from sin and death, and he gave us new life, and it's a miracle. And maybe God rescued you in another way. What did Peter say to the people there in the little house after he told about the rescue? Listen to verse 17. He said, tell these things to James and to the brothers and sisters. The best response to God's rescue is to tell some people. Get the word out. So on the first Sunday of February, we're going to have a testimony service here. And we're going to have some mics set up. And we're going to invite you to come and tell what God did in answer to your prayers. Or we'll invite you to come up and say, we're still praying. I've not seen an answer. And we will pray with you. And hopefully we'll pray fervently. But you just have to share it. So no matter what happens, no matter what comes, whether we're like James and we die an untimely, tragic death, or we're like his brother John, who lived to be the oldest of the apostles, lived to be almost 100 and wrote the book of Revelation, our life is in God's hands. And he knows, he knows what's best for us. He loves us. He knows what we're going through. He's deeply committed to us. God is sovereign. And God answers prayer. So let's pray. Let's pray fervently. Let's pray for our country. Because our country is turning so rapidly away from anything that is godly or right. And God can turn it around in a day if he wants to. Let's pray for, let's pray God will save people in the Longview area. Let's pray that at the end of time, there will be people around the throne of Jesus calling him Lord because they heard the rescue story of someone in Fellowship Bible Church. Let's pray that. Let's pray God revives his church all over the country. God can turn things around. Let's pray for revival. Let's pray for God's mercies. Let's pray boldly. We don't presume on his will, but we can ask him. Sometimes people suffer horribly, and we don't know why. Sometimes God gives amazing answers to prayer. Here's the last thing. Ultimately, God wins over everyone and everything. This story begins with the king killing James the apostle, and it ends with God killing the king. It begins with Peter's powerless. Herod has all the power. And it ends with Peter set free. God sends an angel to kill this king. Now, the king goes north to Tyre and, and Sidon. He's going to give this public address, and people are acclaiming him. He, they're feeding his ego. They don't believe a word of it. He, he's God. We're listening to the voice of a God just trying to get into his good graces. And God strikes him down, and he dies. And the point Friends, ultimately, God vindicates his own. Those who oppose the Lord will lose. God doesn't always put kings to death. But those who oppose God and his will will be judged and punished. And God will judge the wicked. Evil may triumph for an hour, but only for an hour. And then the wicked will face the wrath of God. And Herod's death is just an anticipation. It's a picture 
of that final judgment. Don't ever think that someone's going to get away with something. Ultimately, our lives are in God's hands. And whether it's in the Sudan or China or North Korea or Saudi Arabia or Honduras or the United States, those who violently lay their hands on God's people will be judged. Evil will not ultimately triumph. The wicked who put believers to death will in the end have God put them to death unless they turn to Christ in repentance and in faith. And the Herods of this world may kill Christians, but they will face God's judgment someday. And I love how this story ends. The Word of God increases. In spite of everything, the Word of God increases. It's kind of like Martin Luther's king. Uh, Martin, Luther, uh, Martin Luther's um, uh, hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The body they may kill, God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. Now watch this. God rescues Peter. Peter shares his story at Mary's house. The believers share the story with James and the other apostles. Luke writes it down so generations of Christians like you and me can hear and retell the story, and God's Word multiplies as the story is shared. So let you know prayer, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, will ultimately go unanswered. That's always answered in God's timing and in God's way. He will answer that prayer. No prayers forgotten. No prayers just tossed aside. So pray for the church. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the kingdom of God. Pray for God's great name. And I've got a homework assignment for you. All right? This is over lunch. This is over breaks during TV. I have a homework assignment for you. Tell your rescue story. Tell the time that God rescued you. From sin, from death, work in the car, what? Share your rescue story just like they did here. I've got a final word, and it's this. Some of us are in really dark places right now, like I was with this cerebral hemangioma. And we didn't know what was going to happen, and all I knew was massive headaches. Some of us are in dark places, and I want to leave you this verse, Psalm 139, 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. It may be dark right now for you, and you may be suffering in the nighttime, but the darkness is not dark to God. To God, the darkness is light. So cling to Him. Trust Him. Let Him be your light and your salvation. Find your joy in His sovereignty because we will ultimately conquer as God's people. And don't stop praying. Now, I want to invite all the elders to come on stage with me, and we have a special announcement to make.